Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. The Democratic primary for Rhode Island Treasurer is only a month away, and the race is heating up. So we are talking to both candidates about why they are qualified for the job. This week, we're talking with the former Rhode Island Secretary of Commerce, Stephen Pryor. That's after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. We are here with Stephen Pryor, the former Rhode Island Commerce Secretary who is now running for state treasurer. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Ed. Before we get going, tell me about the horrible, no good, very bad day that you're having here. What happened on your way here? (laughs) Uh, My car was broken into Uh, outside of my home, so that was a tough start. But you know what? It's all up from here, and I'm excited for the interview. (laughs) Uh, All right. So begin by telling us, why do you want to be treasurer? Well, I want to do a job in the treasurer's office that focuses on the economy. My goal is to help strengthen the Rhode Island economy. The treasurer's office is an ideal platform for it. The treasurer's staff are skilled in finance, and we know that there are likely tough times ahead economically. We need a treasurer who is equipped to help us navigate those turbulent economic times. Well, tell me, how does the treasurer have that role? Because it seems like governor would be the the platform to impact the economy the most. I mean, the the treasurer deals with the the pension assets. It deals with you know, unclaimed properties. It, it deals with the victims' compensation fund. Why why treasurer? Because the treasurer needs to manage the finances of the state, including the sizing and advising regarding the bond issuances of the state, which are extraordinarily important including the management of the pension fund, the treasurer needs to make sure that these finances and payments happen in the best way possible. And I believe the treasurer's platform can be used for the economy. What do I mean by that? I believe that the treasurer's office should be the permanent home for small business financing. And I have to say this also, the treasurer as a finance official should be, along with the governor, along with the secretary of state, should be helping to create a vision for the economy of our state. So that's interesting because the treasurer is not part of that right now. A lot of that work is done by commerce. Are you saying you, if you're elected treasurer, you'd want to take it from the commerce department to, into, into the treasurer's No, what office? I'm saying is that there need to be complementary efforts. We need to work together 
I believe I'm positioned to work with whoever ends up being the governor and his staff across multiple departments, the finance department, the Office of Management and Budget, yes, the Commerce Department, the, the, the Department of Business Regulation. I think I'm positioned to work with all the above, plus but work the Secretary with them of State's Office. The, the home. Are you want to work with them or do you want For it to some make... things, it should be the home, okay. like small business finance. For others, we should work together on the vision. And I also think, quite frankly, that the treasurer should think about tax policy. We should consider a sales tax cut. As it stands, we're not competitive with our border states. They have lower sales taxes. Our shops and stores in Rhode Island, our small businesses, are on an uneven playing field. It would be a good thing to do anyway. But with inflation, let's give Rhode Islanders some relief at the checkout counter by lowering sales tax. So you would want that to be part of the role of the treasurer's office? I mean, right now, the tax policy is handled by the governor and the legislature, not the treasurer. I do believe that the treasurer on matters of finance should have a voice. Now, if the governor has an opinion, if the speaker and Senate president have an opinion, there should be a dialogue, but it should, it should be a constructive dialogue and the treasurer should play a role. When she was treasurer, Gina Raimondo moved pension assets into hedge funds. She's been criticized for the fees that came with those investments. Was that a mistake? At the time, there were moves that needed to be made to stabilize the pension fund. I don't want to judge those looking backwards. It is very important that we keep the fees low and keep the benefits pouring into the pension fund for our valued retirees. So I don't like, and I would not favor going forward, high fee fund managers, hedge funds or otherwise. RIPEC had a report talking about how unemployment has reached the lowest point since 1988, but it said the, the economic recovery has been, been uneven. Where has it not met the needs of Rhode Islanders? There's this challenging moment in time here where we have remarkable levels of employment. We are at perhaps an all-time low unemployment, remarkable, but inflation is high, and there are always weaker points in the economy. There's been decades of, frankly, a lack of strategy until the past two governor's administrations. I've had the privilege of working under both, where we've gotten going on the blue economy on manufacturing, on investments in innovation. We've got to keep that up. And I'll note that, you know, a part of part of getting the job done is knowing the statistics, understanding how to carry the economy forward, and doing so in a way that's true to the reality and investing in the right places. I will note that the uh, the Boston Globe recently reported on my opponent, uh, James Diosa, and the fact that in 2018, he issued a tax increase of more than double the amount legally allowed under state law. Now, forget about whether you should be raising taxes that much. That can disincentivize business. It can hurt residents. But if the tax increase is not in accordance with the law, that means that you're certainly not operating in accordance with the data and figuring out how to navigate a process well. Yeah, we had, we had uh, James Ciosa on the podcast last week, and he is running on his record as Central Falls mayor. And he said they were uh, allowed to do the maximum increase five years, and he was proud that they only did it three. What are you saying about his record as Central Falls mayor? Well, I'm saying that if you want to be treasurer, you need to be able to work within the law you need to calculate accurately, and you can't violate the law and undertake procedures and calculations and payments that are wrong. What do you think of the Commerce Board's decision to shift most of its $27 million in support for the Tidewater Landing soccer stadium development deal to the stadium itself? I think it's a good thing that the Commerce Board is working within its 
original authorization so there's no new taxpayer money. I think that's a good thing. However, several taxpayer protections need to be in place before this project should proceed. Not a dollar should flow to that project until it's fully completed. We don't want taxpayers to see and experience a partially built stadium that's never used, but we sunk money into it. That should never happen. Number two, we need to make sure that the team commits to 30 years of play in that stadium or their financial penalties. Otherwise, we shouldn't proceed. Number three, perhaps most important, we need to make sure that the subsequent development, residential units, commercial office space, parking to serve all of the above, that must happen. There needs to be accountability that the developer has. We need to hold them accountable to get that second phase done or the first project shouldn't proceed. Gotcha. My colleague, uh, Brian Amaral, talked to a Holy Cross economics professor, Victor Matheson. Loves soccer. The guy loves soccer, but thinks public financing for a stadium in Pawtucket is a, quote, terrible idea. He says there's almost no scenario in which a minor league stadium generates significant economic impact for the surrounding area. What do you say? I say that that affirms my, my last point, which is that the first phase, meaning the stadium itself, should not proceed unless we know that it's going to bring new economic vitality. And how do we know that? The subsequent phase, the next phase involving commercial office, residential, and more, that has to happen. So there should, the developer should be held accountable for meeting benchmarks. There should be penalties or consequences if they don't meet the benchmarks to carry out the rest of the project that we were all promised. Then it will bring economic vibrancy, and then it does make sense. What do you make of the fact that the Diosa campaign was tweeting from the at Stefan for Rhode Island Twitter account? It looks like it's gone now. It was tweeting pro-Diosa messages. Well, I, I honestly think, Ed, that it's those are the kinds of juvenile antics that Rhode Islanders do not want to see in a candidate for a serious office like treasurer. And this is a serious moment in time where inflation is so far up and the stock market is experiencing such rockiness and there's such uncertainty. We need a treasurer who's not engaged in juvenile antics and pranks that are, frankly, beneath the office of the treasurer. And Diosa's campaign filed a Hatch Act complaint against you. They said you announced your candidacy for treasurer in May but remained in your state job while seeking endorsements and accepting donations. What do you say? This is more of the same foolishness. The Diosa campaign will create false Twitter accounts, juvenile antics, to try to distract because, frankly, maybe they don't have substantive things to say. I don't know. The Hatch Act provision that, that they're citing and the, the kind of claim they're making is just patently false, obviously false, clearly false. So says the Federal Hatch Act office. Yeah, you saw the complaint. It, it cites the section of the Hatch Act applying to state officials who d deal with federal funding, have oversight over federal funding, and puts limits on seeking donations. You're saying you got the advice ahead of time? On, uh, well, on that you, area? You've even seen it, Ed. We, yeah. we got a response in writing from the Hatch Act office saying there is no issue here whatsoever. I do think that there's like positions where, you know, if you are in effect a federal official, meaning that you're federally funded and you happen to be uh, at the state level, then then maybe, maybe you are limited by the Hatch Act. My situation is nowhere even close, nowhere in the vague vicinity. Everyone knows it, including the Hatch Act office, including... Mayor Diosa. Your campaign issued a statement saying you had raised more in seven weeks than Diosa did in seven months. Yes. Uh, but the second quarter report shows you with 147,000 in cash on hand, Diosa with 205,000. So what were you getting at there? I was getting at the fact that cash on hand 
exempts actual payments out the door and in the case of Mr. Diosa includes the contributions he already had in the bank before he started raising money as a candidate for treasurer. When you look at the time period, the seven months when he's been running for treasurer, and you look at the seven weeks that I had been running for treasurer at that time, it's about eight weeks now, I outraised him by a lot. I think in the time period I saw a news report, it was like $50,000 to him, and I was you know, in excess of, a, of 150000 at that moment in time. And I think it shows our campaign has the momentum. Um, we have the momentum in so many ways. The city and town chairs of the Democratic Party endorsed us instantly when we entered the race. There are union leaders who are, who are endorsing us, business leaders who are endorsing us, but forget about the endorsements. They're all over the map. Before we get past endorsements, you work closely with Governor McKee over the past 16 months or so, but he voted to endorse Diosa at the State Democratic Committee convention. Well, did we that, all know that was, knew that was going to happen. Did that disappoint well, you? No, not at all. Governor McKee had endorsed uh, Mayor Diosa before I got into the race, well before the race. He told me, that he was going to. They were fellow mayors, and they have a long-standing relationship. It's it's a friendship. I don't object to that. I understand that, and I knew that very well. That had happened before I entered the race, so no hard feelings. And uh, I'm I'm proud of the fact that across two governors, Governor Raimondo, who hired me, and Governor McKee, who kept me, we did good work together. We did work aimed at ensuring that politics aside. We grow the economy for Rhode Islanders, and we create well-paying jobs for Rhode Islanders. And last question on endorsements. Who are you endorsing for the governor's race, lieutenant governor, and you're a Providence resident. Who are you backing for mayor? Ed, my plan is to stay out of all of the above. I may change my mind here or there. I doubt it. I'm going to stay out of all of the above. You know why? I've, I've talked about today staying focused, staying focused on the real work. I want to stay focused on what are the right policies to put in place to combat inflation, to give some relief to Rhode Islanders at the checkout counter, to stabilize the economy, to keep the pension fund strong and grow it. That's what I want to focus on. I don't want to get involved with politics beyond my own race, which quite frankly, I've got to focus on to ensure that we win because I, I believe strongly that I'm the candidate who can manage the finances of this state best and can help keep this economy strong. All right, Stephen Pryor, thank you for joining us today and good luck with the car. Thank you very much and I appreciate it. If you want to stay updated on the latest news in Rhode Island, make sure you're subscribed to Roadmap, Dan McGowan's daily roundup of our reporting. And if you're looking for fun activities this week, read Lauren Daly's column on the best things to do in Rhode Island. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Rhode Island Report. It's the best way to get the podcast every week. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall and Carlos Munoz. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Ahmed Fitzpatrick, see you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport. Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.